lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. We've got a really interesting show today. I've got with me Linda Pavick, and Linda found the entrepreneurial spirit early in her life. She graduated high school at 17, and she went right into college, and she was paying for her own own way in college, so she also went to work full-time. And what she discovered is that she had that entrepreneurial spirit, and that led her to work her way up, you know, to an upper management position pretty soon. Once she got out of college and pursued her career, she realized that she needed some additional skills. She taught herself accounting to be more well-rounded and to prepare herself to become a business owner. In 1988, she became a business owner at the age 31 and never looked back. Currently, she owns two companies. BZ Trans Systems and Copper Touch. And she's currently pursuing a master's program for industrial psychology. Always a learner. Linda, thank you so much for being with me today. It is my pleasure, Lee. I'm happy to be here. Well, you know, and this is such a timely show because in the, the pandemic left us with many things that we are regretful about, but it also, it seems like it just unleashed a a big wave of entrepreneurial spirit. And we've been in a slot for a long time. So, you know, this is the, the surge is really striking and a very unexpected turnaround after a 40 year decline in U.S. entrepreneurship. So it's opened some doors for people. And I think, you know, in a way it kind of forced a big realignment, um, for, for people that maybe they otherwise never would have done. I couldn't agree with you more. And where I really saw the shift was um, shortly after um, the, I think it would have been April two years ago, when COVID really became a big issue and people were really frightened. Um a lot of business owners that I know decided, okay, we're going to keep people at home. We don't want, we don't want people in the office. We don't want to risk having um, anybody get sick or endangered. So they started having their employees work remotely from home, setting them up with a workstation in their home, et cetera. And um, that did one of two things, in my opinion. And Believe me, this is just my opinion. What it did was the people that did have the entrepreneur spirit and that realized, wait a minute, um, you know, this is kind of nice. I get up in the morning, I can have my morning coffee, maybe a little breakfast, and then I just walk into the next room and I go to work. Um, and, and it worked out really well, but it also taught them that maybe I want to do that <clears throat> in my future. And if I want to do that in my future, maybe I can do that for myself. So it gave a lot of people that maybe had it in the back of their mind, but were just not willing to take that next step. It was kind of a nudge. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And it was interesting because um, some people, well, 55% of the people that were surveyed felt that now is a better time to start a business than before the pandemic. Right. Absolutely. And then the other thing that happened um, 
with having the people at home for business owners, because um, now I'll speak from the business owner perspective. I never did have my people at home. We, in in the very early stages, we all masked. Um, We met, I I have 12 employees, so we we did not have, um, you know, a large population of people we were having to navigate. We're in a rural area. Uh, We didn't have many outbreaks in our county, so we felt fairly safe, um, but we took every precaution. Um, and we all stayed working, and we were considered, our products were considered necessities. So um, we didn't have that problem, and excuse me, I have a frog in my throat, and we did not need to um, to keep people home or work remotely because we were, we were a necessary product. But people that were just working from home and the Employers, all of a sudden, I have some very good friends that own businesses that have large amounts of employees. And I would talk to them privately, and they'd say, Linda, I think I've created a monster. This is not going to work because, you know, little Mary and little Joey are, you know, playing in the room with them, and they're much more attentive to little Joey and little Mary who are, you know, fighting over the same toy than they are to doing their work or um, there's more video games going on on the screen than there is um, actual work and that kind of thing. So there were kind of two dynamics, Lee, that were going on that were caused by the pandemic. Well, and I think there was another because, you know, people were employed, a lot of uh, people maybe that were employed in a restaurant business or something, all of a sudden they found themselves unemployed and they realized that they had to they had to come up with something that they could do. I mean, it forced them to look beyond what they had done or, or, you know, some of them, maybe their salary was just cut. And when you're home all day and you don't, you know, your income becomes very uncertain, it really can almost motivate you to think about what can I do for myself? What kind of business can I operate? Um, And it's, and certainly the timing was right. No doubt. Absolutely, the time was right. And I think that that um, there are going to be a lot of success stories, and then there's going to be some others that aren't going to turn out quite as well, because that is kind of uh, what happens in being an entrepreneur. Um, I had it happen with me. I have failed. And I have always told everybody, my failures are why I'm successful now. I think if I would not have had the failures, I wouldn't be seeing the success I'm seeing now. Well, I, as a, as a small business owner, I definitely agree with you that, you know, we learn from our mistakes. And not only do we learn from our mistakes, we, turn, we take that information and we capitalize on it. You know, this wasn't the right thing to do, but now I know what the right thing to do is. Yes. Absolutely. So, Lee, in um, your organization that studies the brain, right, and how the brain affects everything, so what do you think happens with the entrepreneur as far as their brain? What makes them uh, tick versus somebody that just wants to punch a time clock? Well, I think there's a lot of people out there punching a time clock that don't want to. For starters, I right. think that 
there, you know, it's just that it's what our life experiences have taught us. If you were brought, brought up in a house where that's what you do, you go to school, you get a job, that's your responsibility, you know, um, then that's what you do. And I think there's some people like yourself that, that learn early on, I'm, I'm in control. Like you, you paid your way through college. Um, it wasn't done for you. Okay. This is what I want to do. I've got to figure out how to make it work so that I can enjoy it. And I think it's, it's a headset where you are in your head. Some people would never see themselves starting a business. Others, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. I can certainly attest to that. And for a lot of people, well, it's just easier to, you know, to keep doing what I'm doing. I like the benefits. I like the security. And that's where I think the pandemic shook the box up. All of a sudden, we need to rethink about this. And I think, too, we all got so down that we realized life is too short. I have got to enjoy what I do. I've got to feel good about doing it. And... If not, then I've got to make some changes. And so I think the pandemic actually just freed up a lot of people that had never thought that they were capable of doing it. No, I agree completely. And one thing for those that are listening that are interested in starting a business, there's one thing that I would say, and that's that you have to plan that you're going to be taking risks. Uh, I know some people that absolutely are not risk takers. They they want everything to be in a nice, neat box. They do not want any risk, and I don't recommend entrepreneurship for the non-risk takers because uh, every day can be a risk. Absolutely, and you make a very good point. It is a choice to start a business, and it's a choice yeah. that needs to be well thought out. What are the risks? What are the rewards? Um, and is it the right decision for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. And are you um, choosing the right profession, shall we say, that uh, you want to create for your business? Because some people can be um, real excited and say, well, I'm going to start um, ABC company that's going to have this widget because so-and-so told me this would be a great product, but they don't know anything about the supply chain or anything about ABC widgets. But they may have a really good background in something else. And so you really have to sit and think about what is going to work for you because the change that I made from the mistakes that I made is night and day. I was in the restaurant business, and now I'm in the medical device field. There's, they're not related at all. And so you have to really think about where can a business take you? What can you offer the business? Because a business is like, it's kind of like having a child to a certain degree. You really have to pamper and take care of it if you want it to thrive and grow. No, you're right. You know, and I found it interesting that a third of the startup that started during the pandemic, they started essential businesses. So they saw, you know, they saw a need and they saw a way, you know, oh, my gosh, there's a need for this. I could feel that need. Um, And that's but but you're going back to planning, uh, you know, after you you hit your first year milestones, 
then you've got to start looking into the future. And as you said, you had to change your business model. Um, and I've had to change my business model to accommodate the life post-pandemic. And, you know, think about all the people that had brick-and-mortar locations that no longer have them. Oh, absolutely. I sell my product, uh, the BZ board, which is a patient transfer board. I don't sell to the general public. I sell through a dealer distributor network. And um, you get to know, you know, we have hundreds of them, but you get to know a lot of them. And the small ones just were not able to continue because when the pandemic hit, um, the buyers in the hospital stopped buying with the exception of masks and gowns and sanitizing equipment, and they weren't buying any of the other necessities. And so it really cost a lot of the small dealers their business. Well, and, and you know, once you, you've been taken down, it's very humbling but how many times do you see somebody turn around and open another, a different small business? Which is what I did. Absolutely. I went from the restaurant, like I said, into now manufacturing. Well, and, you know, I think what's held a lot of people back is just, you know, one word, money. Um, and we were all worried about money during the pandemic. I mean, I was on an individual level. And, you know, when I saw everything going to, to lockdown, I was on a professional level. But I, I think it's fascinating that the, the funding concerns didn't stop the entrepreneurs from coming out during the pandemic. No, absolutely not. You know, speaking from my position, we actually, we had to put our product on hold. So from a cash standpoint, cash flow, strictly business speaking cash flow, I had four months of product I had to hold. I had POs for it all, but I had to hold it because the hospitals were not receiving the um, anything in their in their departments. So I knew I was going to have to cash flow the company um, for four to five months. And so I had to do that with bank financing, obviously. And so we were just basically on hold, but I wanted to be able to keep all of my employees paid and I wanted them to feel secure. So that was a choice that I made. So, And then the government, of course, came in and helped with the PPP program for payroll and other things, which really helped some small businesses. But there was really a lot of strategic planning that had to, that had to take place to decide how are we going to do this and, and how are we going to stay open. Now, I'm in a small town in Minnesota that is probably population, I'm going to say, 8,000 people. And uh, I would say of the, I don't think we have a restaurant left, a sit-down restaurant left. I think they all closed and, and are not reopening. We lost uh, one of our grocery stores. They're not reopening. Um and so it, it hit these rural areas and the smaller towns really hard. Now, we have some larger towns just to the south of us as you head towards Minneapolis, and everything is, is back up and running and flourishing again. But when you're in these rural areas, you can see the devastation and you can hear the stories of the devastation, and it's going to take us a little while to climb out of that. 
Yes, it will. And, you know, when I think about our looking at a study I looked at, I was amazed that half of the people that responded in the survey, they funded their own business with less than $10,000. Because when you think of, you know, if you whatever you do, there's some technology involved. There has to be. Um, it's it's right. a way of life. But when you think about the cost of technology and just and just all the what it you know the equipment it takes what it takes to pull that funding together ten thousand dollars is not as much as I thought it would be a lot more than that. I did too. That is very surprising to me because I can tell you from personal experience just um, some of the. Um, movement that I'm doing as I'm expanding has been a lot more than that. And so that that is uh, very surprising to me. Well, you know, one of the things that I think drives a lot of people, you ask about the brain of an entrepreneur. And yes. I think that I think that entrepreneurs are driven by creativity. I really do. I think that they they see a need for an effective solution and they get creative. And they think, you know, good critical thinking skills, um, because how do you how do you take that creative idea and turn it and execute it? I mean, you've got to have critical thinking. You've got to have good communication. You've got to have flexibility for sure. Oh, I, Lee, I, I agree completely. And I think another um area that comes into that for some entrepreneurs, and and again, I can only speak for myself, is wanting to make a difference. That was really what led me where I am now, because I thought, I don't want to leave without having made a difference, without having done something where somebody has benefited from what I'm doing. I think that's an excellent point, because sometimes, you know, when we feel... We need help. We want to help. One thing we want to do is we want to help others. That's one of the first things, you know, oh, I need help. Well, let me help somebody else. Um, right. And I think a lot of the, the new business were generated with that coming from the heart. That's, that's very, very true. So the creativity, uh, maybe some um, generosity or charity, any other things? in the mind of an entrepreneur, in the brain, I should say, of an entrepreneur? Well, I think flexibility, mental flexibility is something that is required. And it's something that a lot of people have a hard time with. And some of that's just, you know, um, depends on what's going on in their brain, how that brain's wiring and firing. But, you know, you've got, I know, in building my business, that is one thing that I think a core value became was flexibility. You've got to be flexible. There's not only one way down the highway, and you've got if you've got to take a right, and then if you've got to make a U-turn and go left, that's what you got to do. And you know, not everybody's brain is capable of that. And then you know, I had mentioned critical thinking, and critical thinking is I kind of call executive function at the Brain Performance Center because it's you have to look at what needs to be done, you have to evaluate it. You have to scope it out. Then you have to put a plan in place. You have to monitor that plan. And most importantly, you have to execute. Because I, I know a lot of people that are excellent planners. Oh, excellent at coming up with a strategy. But when it gets time to execute, 
they have a really hard time. And if you can't execute it, you're going to fall flat on your face. That's very true. And I, I can attest to that because there's been a few times I haven't executed. <laughs> That's very true. But I mean, but there's, you know, I think you also you have to have passion for what you do. If we kind of go to the emotions, um, you've got to feel passionate about it. And some people don't know what emotional intelligence is, uh, but I think that is something that it's a really important quality for an entrepreneur. So emotional intelligence, um, interesting subject. I love it because um, I took the testing a while ago and, you know, people said, well, is that, that's an IQ test? They said, no. It's it's um, it's an EQ test. We're we're going to test the emotional because I offered other people, you know, to do the testing, and um, it's really amazing when you, when you take the test, when you think about it, if you really answer honestly, what um, these tests will tell you, and luckily, um, you know, I probably can't increase my IQ, right? But I can increase my emotional quotient and everybody can i think Mm -hmm. that you know once you become in touch with with what those emotional attributes or deficits are um you can increase your self-awareness and i think you know emotional intelligence relates a lot to how self-aware you are and your how intuitive you are some people walk in a room and they stop and they take the they take a couple minutes just to look around the room, just to you know see. Do I see anybody that looks like they they need help? Do I see anybody that looks angry? That I want to avoid them. Um, but but what do I see? And just being aware. And, and I'll tell a lot of my clients the most powerful skill that you have is the power of observation, and use it. Wow. Yes, you know, that's amazing. I hadn't thought about it that way, Lee, but you're right. Um, I have a lot of people that come and go out of my office, and you're absolutely right. There are some people that come in, and they're very thoughtful about looking around. I have a lot of my personality in my office. So on one wall, I have, you know, uh, NFL team that I that I enjoy because I really enjoy sports. On another wall, I have my college football wall. On another wall, I have my music wall. On another wall, I have, you know, another subject. On a cabinet, I have another subject. And I did that on purpose because I wanted people to be able to see different facets of my personality. So the uh, observant people uh, were able to have interesting conversations right off the bat where other people walk in and they look around and just, it, it's meaningless to them. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic. It really is. Well, you know, I think you have one of the uh, qualities that's important for an entrepreneur, and that is eagerness to learn. I mean, you're over 60, and you're going to go back, and you're going to start your master's. And I think, you know, people that love to learn, and, and I think we talked in our conversation, I'm going to start my Ph.D. next month. Um, and, you know, just that wanting – to learn. And part of it is curiosity to me. I'm just curious, yes. what else is out there? How? I, what else could I add? You know, 
um, in my, my realm, I have the brain performance center. That's one way, but there are other ways that, that I want to expand into. So that eagerness to learn is really, really important. And, and you had that at the age of 17. There's no doubt about it. I had it actually from as young as I can remember because I would um, go to the library and find anything that I could that I could be doing um, my own exercises. I used to make up my own workbooks. Um, as an only child, I didn't have playmates, so I found I I became my own playmate, and I used to do that kind of thing. So the eagerness to learn has never left me. That's amazing, and you know I think there's something to this only child. I have a, a good friend, and and she coaches herself when she's when she's doing her job. She talks to herself, and I'm like, <laughs> Are, do you talk to yourself all the time? And she said, No, I just coach myself <laughs> when I need it. So I have to remember three, that. Yeah, because it's it's a good tool. We've got about three minutes before we take a break. You know, what do you think? How important? do you think self-confidence is to an entrepreneur? Uh, I think that self-confidence is uh, in, uh, in the top three of the qualities that you really have to work towards. And keep in mind, if I'm not saying you have to have it when you make the decision, but I'm saying you better work towards it for success. Um, for me, um, I had to gain it because I had a lot of doubts can I do this? You know, I had, remember I told you I had failed, and I had failed miserably. And so you have a lot of doubts. And so I think self-confidence, when you gain it and when you get to a certain level, it helps you to make better decisions. It helps you to feel more comfortable about the decisions you're making and to make better contacts. And uh, I don't want to keep going too long because I know that we have a break coming up here. Well, I do agree with you that self-confidence is important, but I think something that is even more important is self-compassion. And I think that's something that's hard for us to learn because anybody that starts a business is going to have some level of failure. It, it's it's just in the cards. And we'll, you know, we'll get into the shame and blame. Oh, shame on you. You should have done this. You didn't. Well, since you didn't do it, it's your fault. You know, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. we have to stop and learn to be self-compassion, you know, to pat ourselves on the shoulder and say, you know what? Good try, Lee. You know, good try that you stuck yourself out there and you tried it. Looking back, you know, maybe there was a better way to try it. But until you give yourself and until you show yourself some self-compassion, you're not going to be able to see the better way that's that's out there. And I think that, that that is so, so important, not just in your professional growth, but in your personal growth too. And it's, you know, starting a business is, is one thing, but if you have a family, it's not just you starting that business. The whole family is impacted by it. The whole family feels every and sees every single struggle that you go to. Um, it's best thing I ever did was start the brain performance center, but who knows what we can do next. Stay with us and learn more about the best choices you make to start a business. We'll be back after these messages. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's words you never heard. The first week of April is Laugh at Work Week. And, of course, it all kicks off with April Fool's Day. Laugh at Work Week was founded by motivational speaker Randall Munson. Laughter and humor really are an important part of the workplace. Benefits of laughing at work include increased productivity, creativity, and stress relief. Laughter triggers a dopamine release, which greatly aids memory and information processing. Did you know there is a word found in medical dictionaries to describe a condition where a patient falls into a coma from excessive laughter? It's called Lachlachenfall. If you are the type of person who laughs when someone stumbles or trips, you would be experiencing schadenfreude, or the pleasure of someone else's misfortune. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. So, you know, it's interesting. Before the break, we talked about how the pandemic started. It created a jumping off point for a lot of people. Um, but it was interesting. The survey that I saw showed that 57% of the people had always wanted to be their own boss. So it's something that had existed on that subconscious level for a long time. I mean, people, everybody wants to be their own boss, don't you think? Absolutely. Uh, We all have that. Boy, wouldn't it be fun? You know, I remember when I was young and I was, you know, struggling, scrubbing pots and pans in the restaurant and waiting on tables with customers that weren't always all that nice to me and thinking, boy, what would it be like to be my own boss? And we just thought, boy, that would be the cat's pajamas, right? And then when you finally get there, you find out that, that it's not... It's not what you think it was going to be. There are just certain skills that you should either have or work to gain. And I think you were talking about that right before the break. And you need to get, you need to work to get those skills to just to make sure that you give yourself every opportunity to be successful. Well, and I think, you know, there's a whole misconception. You know, I'll have people say, well, you're the boss. What are you doing here? You know, it's 630. Why didn't you leave at five? Well, 
because, and I think this is where I mentioned passion before, I think that when, you know, when you're, pa- when you feel passionate about what you do, it's not, you don't live by the clock. You're, you're, you leave when you feel like it's the right time to leave. Well, you know, there's a measurement that I go by um, psychologically, just in my head when, I, when I'm dealing with people or I'm dealing with situations um, that I need to resolve because um, one of the things small entrepreneurs have to become is a human resources manager, an accountant, um, a general manager, maybe a supply chain manager, maybe a shipping and receiving manager, logistics, uh, purchasing, uh, all of these things come into place, right? And so uh, one of the things, you talked about passion now I think three or four times, and that is one of my favorite words. And I'll tell you a quick little story about a measurement of passion. I think I had I had touched upon you walk into my office on one side the NFL, the other side is college football. Okay. When I was young, not having brothers or sisters, and I tended to be nocturnal, so I couldn't really go to sleep when my parents wanted me to go to sleep. So I had a transistor radio and I would crawl under the covers so that they didn't know I was awake. And I would turn on the transistor radio and listen to the Minnesota Twins or the Minnesota Gophers during the winter or the Minnesota Vikings. And they became like a friend to me. It was almost like having a brother or a sister. Well, what happened was then I learned the rules of the game and I learned the games. And I became a fan of sports. And then I realized I'm pretty passionate about everything I do. So then I learned now, hate is not in my vocabulary. I've never hated anybody in my life, in my life. But I learned that it's okay to have a strong dislike for any Wisconsin team because I cheer for the Minnesota teams. And that's passion. And I would have people say, well, why do you care? Why do you care if they win or lose? Why do you care if this happens or doesn't happen? And so when I really analyzed that, Lee, as crazy as this story sounds, I realize that my level of passion is what has helped me to succeed now because I'm so passionate in everything that I do within my organization and with my employees that everybody bands together. And even if we have a problem, which, you know, we'll have like production problems or manufacturing problems, nobody gets alarmed any longer. We figure out a response. We figure out what to do. And I don't think if, I really believe if I didn't have that passion, that I didn't, um, I guess, emit to the rest of my crew. And if they didn't feel it coming from me, we wouldn't have people that were so willing to go the extra mile and figure out what are we going to do to solve this. But they all take it home with them, come back the next day and say, I think I've got a solution. And I think that's really important. I think it is, too. And I think that, you know, you as a business owner, I've always felt like that I needed to create that with the people that worked with me so that it's it's not all about Lee. It's about us. It's a team. And I don't want to be the only one that figures everything out. You know, Um, right. I love and I welcome and I'll ask for help. You know, hey, can you think on think on this overnight? 
and give me some ideas in the next couple of days. And whether they come back with ideas or not, they're very flattered that they were asked. Well, many entrepreneurs that I have been in contact with um, take on a persona of once they get to a certain level, they distance themselves from their employees. And that's right. one thing I, pr- I promised to myself that I was not going to let happen. Because if we're, and I can't criticize, they're very successful people. And they're people that I, you know, that I know very well and that I admire and respect. But it's just not something that I would ever want to do. And I'm not sure in the, in the end run that um, it will be the right move. We'll have to find out years down the road. But one of the things that I would suggest to people is when you're hiring your employees, um, realize, put yourself in their shoes and realize how important um, in, how important it is to have somebody you can trust and rely on, but at the same time, how important it is to them to feel needed, to feel respected, to feel like they are... Um, doing a good job, to hear a compliment, um, to have a nice place to work. I have never had anybody uh, quit. In you know, we're we're we've been in business since two thousand one. Uh, I've never had anybody quit. I've never had anybody leave. And I and think that, that's that the reason. A lot. Yes, and, and I think and that's you- the reason. Well, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, when you think about right now what's going on in the, cor- the corporate world, they're experiencing the great attrition. People are leaving. More people have quit their jobs in the last year than ever before. And you know what? I saw, I read something that people that feel psychologically comfortable and recognized and appreciated are eight times more likely to stay with their job. People leave when they don't feel appreciated. And, you know, a lot of times people, yes, some people will leave for money. They'll they'll leave for better opportunities. But what we're experiencing on the corporate world right now, the great attrition, it's just that people don't feel appreciated. And, you know, you mentioned early in the show, some people really like working from home. They don't want to go back to work. Okay, so you don't want to go back to work. Is it going to be out of sight, out of mind? Because the three other people that do the same job you do are back at work. So that creates, you know, that creates some tension. Um, And so when you don't feel recognized or you don't feel appreciated, that sends an undercurrent. Maybe, 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 maybe. And that undercurrent can pull you away. No, absolutely. So, you know, you have actually two things, you know, that you're talking about, in my opinion right now, with the audience, because there are some people that don't wish to be entrepreneurs, right? But maybe they would like to work for a smaller entrepreneur and get out of, say, the corporate world or the big um, company world. Um, you know, there might be somebody that works at ABC Bank and they are working for a big banking institution and 
you know, down the road is a small private investment firm. And you can go to work for somebody and have exactly what you were just saying, Lee, which is, you know, the appreciation, the one-on-one consideration, the the chance to have, you know, a real um, working relationship with somebody that is going to train you, teach you, value you, that type of thing. So you have two things going on, either the entrepreneur or the people that want to be a part of that smaller business world as an employee. Well, and I think so many people like to, to feel like, oh, they care what I think, you know? Yes. They, they yes. want to know my opinion. That's that's really nice instead of, you know, just walk the company line, don't worry about it, I don't need to hear what you think, just keep going. Right. And, you know, I work with people uh, in my other company, Copper Touch. I work with people that are from the big corporate world because I work with scientists. And they um, have just a totally different dimension. Very dear friends of mine, we work very well together, but their dimension is so different. You know, um, within a certain department, this is all you do, and if, if, Something else needs to be said. Well, no, we can't. We can't discuss that or do anything about that. That has to move to another department, and they'll have to decide if you can have that discussion. And I don't operate that way. I go from point A to point B, and no matter what. And so there's such a difference in styles between big management, big corporate um, food chains, and then the smaller world that the entrepreneurs live in. Yeah, you're right. There, there really is. And, you know, just to kind of switch gears, how many small business owners do you know that when they started their business, they started in a, in a completely different new industry? I would say two or three. Out of, so not very many. So not very many, no. Well, you know, I asked that because that's kind of what my experience has been. But that survey that I looked at, 62.8% switched to an entirely new industry. Mm -hmm. And that just, I I was amazed at that. Would Um, that have been recently? Yes. This is, this survey has to do with the businesses that were started during the pandemic. And I think part of that is driven because there were certain industries that weren't allowed to open. I'm just guessing this, but I think that that's why our numbers are skewed because there were so many restaurants that were shut down. There were gyms that were shut down. Um, There were, you know, all different types of businesses. Churches were shut down. Um, And I think that that skewed what was happening with, with the numbers. That's just an opinion that I have on that. Well, and I agree with that. I also think, you know, that that COVID-19 forced us all to really reconsider. How are we spending our time? What what am I putting all my energy to? Um, And what risks am I willing to take as I move forward? I mean, I think it was time for reflection. And they realized, you know what? I can do a lot of different things. There are new areas that I can contribute in. I agree. I agree completely. And normally when you have times like this, you will have, like you were talking about creativity, 
you will have the really creative people that will come up with tremendous concepts or ideas, and you'll see those new things, And but you'll also see the other side of it as well, as you'll have the people that are um, just kind of not doing much of anything and waiting for things to just be done, you know, be over with, and life to get back to normal. Yeah, and, and you know what surprised me is a lot of people started a business that were on the front lines of the pandemic. They were considered essential. I think it was something yeah. like 32% were on mm-hmm. the front lines of the pandemic. And I think that goes back to what you said about you starting your business. You wanted to do something to help. You wanted mm-hmm. to cr- contribute. Right. And I had to do the opposite with my business because my Copper Touch product is a handheld sanitizer. It's a... Um, a gold, um, it looks like a bar of soap. It's copper, excuse me, it's copper, uh, 99.9% pure copper, and you rub it on your hands for 60 seconds, and it kills the germs in your hands, including COVID-19. Well, when the pandemic came along, um, I was really concerned about making sure that, because we were just getting the company up and started. So when when we were doing all of the research two years before that, you know, we nobody would have thought that this pandemic was going to hit or anything like that. But when this happened, I thought, oh, mercy me, I do not want people trying to think that I'm going to take advantage of something like this. And so basically, we just kind of went to, we were on Amazon, but we kind of went down to almost a, a not not promoting anything, period. And then the FDA uh, sent us a letter, and they said, you know, you have to cease and desist because you have on your website that, um, you know, you could kill COVID-19. And I I called the FDA. I ceased and desisted immediately. In other words, they wanted that off the website. Right. But, But I told them, I said, we didn't say that. What we did was we cited in proper citation um, a study that was done in, in England, in London. And they were ahead of the game in studying some of this. And they were had done the study on copper. And we, we cited all of it. And we just put it as an interesting fact. We weren't trying to tell anybody that our product killed COVID. We hadn't done our own lab testing. And so I shut the company down. Because I did not want people thinking that we were a hoax, that we were trying to take advantage. So this is an example of what can happen to an entrepreneur and a tough decision that you have to make. Because I literally shut it down, and it was shut down for about a year and a half. We're just starting back up again. But I did not want people thinking that we were a fly-by-night hoax, that we were not in it for the right reasons, and we're just resuming. So these are some of the decisions that can come up, Lee, that an entrepreneur will have to face. And so that gives me the other word that you and I haven't discussed as an entrepreneur, and that's morality. Okay, let's talk about morality. Yes. So what is your moral code as an entrepreneur? Um, How high your ethics for the company? That is 
that is what is really important to me. And that's why I made the decision for Copper Touch that I made. Well, and I agree with that. I mean, I feel like that we all have that ethical responsibility. In Texas, um, I I termed myself a non-essential worker um, based upon the criteria that was set out there. I know that some people did continue to stay open, um, but I think that we all have to use our own morals, what's right, and what we consider ethical. And I mean, I have to, I run this business, the Brain Performance Center, under a counseling license. I will onboard certified neurofeedback. For all the licenses and certifications I have, you have to take an ethics class every time that your certification is up to get recertified. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right. It's, It's an important, something that important to talk about. And I think that some people, um, you know, religion can come into play and that can impact how they operate their business. I mean, I think it's very interesting. Chick-fil-A, which is a huge, do you guys have Chick-fil-A up there? Yes, we do. Well, they're not open on Sundays because of their Correct. religious beliefs. And Sunday Correct. is a huge day, you know, where after church, people will go out to lunch, but they walk away from that revenue because it's not in alignment with their moral and ethical beliefs. Right. So they're sacrificing that revenue. Yeah. But I, I'm not too worried about Chick-fil-A. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just use them as an example, you know, that that's all. But, and I think that it's like, you know, uh, both of my kids growing up have had, a couple of big personal choices to, you know, to make. And they've told me about them. And when they told me about them, they were at, at an age where they did not want me to, they did not want me to tell them what to do. Um, they were telling me. And all I could say is be true to yourself. And that's the way that I look at being moral and having your own ethics. You be true to yourself. Wonderfully put. Wonderfully so, you know, put. At some point, we're going to come out of the pandemic. Let's use the last, you know, five or six minutes and talk about for people that once they, we come out of the, the pandemic, do they expect their business model to change? What, what advice do you have for them? Well, you know, it's very dependent on, on what their product line is um, because one of the things, you know, it can get really complicated, but obviously one of the things... Um, relating to entrepreneurs is affected by whatever is going on in politics, right? So right now we have like some some struggles in logistics and we have some struggles in um, uh, supply chain. And so depending on what kind of a product, if you're in manufacturing or if you're in restaurants, I'm sure you've you've heard the the news that you know people are having trouble getting everything that they're ordering. So taking all of that aside, as an example, um, coming out of a pandemic, I'm sure that there is going to be things like this that are going to happen, and you have to be able to overcome that. But the best advice that I have is try to um, get everybody back to a more normal working relationship. I am a believer, and I may be wrong about this, and Lee, you are the expert, so you can tell your audience 
how wrong I am. But I am a true believer that having an office to go to, having a workplace to go to, is a really good thing. Not being home 24 hours a day, um, having somewhere to go, somewhere to take and do your duties and your responsibilities and earn your money and have socialization with people other than your your immediate family, I think is really, really important. And so I agree I, with that. Mm-hmm. So I think entrepreneurs need to try and get people back into a more normal environment setting. And I think it's better for business. I think it's better for the customers. I think it's better for everybody involved. Oh, I I, I couldn't agree with that more because, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast every single day. And how do you keep your culture alive? And that's one of the things on my website, Lee E. Richardson, that I would love to talk about. I have a presentation prepared. But... You know, if you don't have, if you're not together, you don't share that culture and that culture starts to fade. Oh, but we have a strategy. Well, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I I I love that saying. I'm never going to forget that. (laughs) Well, thank you. You know, but but you're right. We've got to bring people together. And as we start to come out and people are afraid there are people that really, I think, are just afraid. If I go back to work, I'm going to get sick. Um, and we need to we need to listen to them. We need to talk about, let them talk about their fears and let them talk about why they have those thoughts and, and help them. You know, one of the things that I've seen in my practice very quickly is in the, during the pandemic, people have forgotten how to play. You know, they, yeah. oh, I don't have time for that. I'm busy. I need to be productive. I need to make things happen. Play? What are you talking about? <laughs> and I think as we go back, we need to we need to bring play back into the to the workplace too. We got a couple minutes left. You've got years and years of experience as an entrepreneur. If anybody felt like that they had a question, I mean, you've bared your soul to us. You've told us how you failed. That they <laughs> wanted to ask you. Would that be okay? And if it is, how would they do it? That would be absolutely wonderful. I would love to hear from your listeners. My email address is Linda, L-I-N-D-A, at bzboards.com. B as in boy, E-A-S-Y, B as in boy, O-A-R-D-S.com. Thank you. And thank you for opening yourself up for that because, you know, it's just... Sometimes just knowing if you have a question that you can ask it and you know you feel confident about who you were going to ask provides you the security and you end up you don't even ask it. But it's right, just, right, yeah, it's it's just knowing that it's there and it always will be. Well, you know, my takeaway from from the time that I have spent with you is that you had that spirit early in your life. You did what you needed to do. You know, you taught yourself accounting, you taught yourself different things to put yourself, you set yourself up for success. And I so admire that. What it, Do you have any few words that you want to leave our listeners with as a takeaway? Well, I would hope that anybody that is sitting at home vacillating, can I do it? Can I not do it? Um, look to talk to people, get some advice. Uh, make sure that 
Those Whatever. are the best words ever to end on. You know, okay. talk to people. Thank you yes. so much for being with me today. Thank you. you. It was a I pleasure. Appreciate it. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio.